I started putting all of my pictures and stuff in videos, but I never actually finished making them. And when I would go through and see all these photos, I was like, oh my God, this brings back so many memories of the trail. Like, this is crazy. Like, I forgot about that. And yeah, looking at all those pictures, definitely. I think that's the best advice I can give anyone is even though people want to be disconnected from technology, take a phone and maybe don't have a SIM card in it and just take photos because you'll never remember it all. But if you can see those pictures, it will trigger those memories and bring back all the, all the good times for sure. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is Survivor, known off trail as John Floyd. He kicked off his through hiking career in 2019 by selling his possessions to finance hiking the AT. He then jumped almost immediately to the TA and has now come back to the States to start the PCT in April. He's fully embraced the through hiking life. In this episode, we dig into the Te Aroa, discuss stove versus cold soaking, and talk about building your own quilt. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Survivor. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad that we were able to to coordinate this. I know you're you're prepping for the next trail at this point. You know, honestly, my prep is being lazy. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> well, at this point at this point you're you're an old pro, so Yeah, it's weird to say that. Like I don't I don't feel like that cuz I just I started through hiking in April of last year, so April 2019, and uh, I just feel like I'm not that experienced, even though I've walked over 4,100 miles in less than a year. It's kind of crazy. It just doesn't even feel like I've done it. <laughs> so how does it feel like you've spent your last year, so to speak? Uh, there's been a lot of different emotions and a lot of different thoughts that have gone on. I love through hiking. Like I love going to places that you can't go with a car. I think that's my favorite part, but I, I have a little bit of a different pace than most people. I like to not always get up super early, but I like to hike big days. So I generally hike a little faster than most people. So I tend to be alone a lot, which being alone that much kind of starts to get to you a little bit, at least for me. And uh, I would say after the holiday in New Zealand, that was a little difficult because I put, before the holiday, there's a, before we came into Christmas, uh, there is a section of the trail that you canoe slash kayak and you have to do it in a group of two or more people. So there was a group of us that all met up on the trail and we decided to stay together. So we stayed together for a couple of weeks so we could do the river together. And then after that, we all split up for the most part. 
and we all went back to our normal paces and I got ahead of everybody, but then that meant I was alone. And so I got to the end of the North Island at the end for Christmas. And so I went and hung out with some friends and then I went back to the trail and started the South Island, but I was completely alone and no one was around that I knew. And when I was walking, there was no one around and that started to get to me. So that alone time was maybe too much, (laughs) too much alone time. (laughs) When you say it started to get to you, I know you had mentioned on, I'm trying to think if it was YouTube or Instagram or maybe both about depression. Was that maybe a little of that? Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely that. So um, I never really experienced depression. Like I, I, I've experienced in life, but on the trail, I never really experienced on the Appalachian Trail. Maybe a little homesick kind of thing, just seeing everyone's social media kind of thing. You know, I think that goes to being FOMO. And then in New Zealand, I definitely the depression like really crept in hard, and it took me about three weeks to kind of get past that. I would say I just had these like moments I'd be walking and I would just be like, what am I doing? Like I would listen to a podcast and that was the only thing that really made me feel better because I was listening to people's talking about their adventure and stuff. And your podcast was one that I really listened to a lot. And there were even times when I would listen to that and I would hear someone's story and then I would get all emotional. And I'm like, why am I being emotional? Like there's nothing to be emotional about or like they would tell their story about something and it would just like hit me. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like I wish I could have done this with, with my mom or something, Mm -hmm. you know, listening to people talk about them doing this with their mom or just different things. And I'm like, Oh dang, I really wish. And so then it started like getting my head, but after a couple of weeks, it finally went away <laughs> and I felt normal again, so to speak. Do you think that was about being alone so much or was that just maybe something that was, was going to, to happen regardless? You know, I really don't know if it was going to happen regardless, but I really think a lot of it was influenced by being alone because the Teodoroa is a lot less traveled than say the Appalachian Trail or the PCT. So I had a lot more alone time. There was times where I didn't see anybody. And then there was times when I would like pass someone and I would go by, you know, two or three shelters on on the South Island. They particularly want you staying in shelters. So, you know, I would go by a shelter that had people in it, but because I was trying to get such big miles, then I would stop, say hi, or grab water or have lunch or something, and then I'd be off. So I didn't spend much time with people, (laughs) but I remember a specific river section that I was doing and I was alone and there, the Teodoroa is well-marked in some sections and then other sections it's poorly marked. And there was a section that there was trail markers on the left, on the right, and then like smack dab in the middle of the river. And I was, so frustrated and confused because the map was like, well, you're, you're on the trail, but then I have all these markers everywhere. So I'm like, which one's what? Well, in New Zealand, they just mark everything with a orange triangle. So all trails are marked with the same 
marker, <laughs> <laughs> which can be really bad. Cause there was one section that I met up with someone and we started talking and we w- went to look at gut hook and we're like, Oh no, we're like a mile off the trail <laughs> because we followed a different trail. So it can get a little confusing. And so I had heard that there was a part of the trail that had switched and changed from they had a reroute during that river section because of I guess the land and stuff had gotten messed up. And so I was like, is that here? Like which which set of trail markers do I follow? I don't know I don't know. <laughs> so I just started walking and I remember I got I saw this person and I almost like just cried because I was like finally a human. I this is so cool to actually see someone. So I don't know if the depression was partially just being alone or if it was just, I really think it had a lot to do with being alone and just the emotions of the holiday because, so I lost my mom in 2009 in a car accident and my grandma in 2011. And those are the two people that raised me. And so holidays tend to be a little more hard for me anyway. And I didn't know how, it would be being out on trail because I kind of assumed I would just be alone completely on the holiday. But I was pretty lucky in the sense of like on actual Christmas, I was not alone. So I think that really helped. But once I got away from people and it was alone, then I think it kind of crept back in. And that's when it really hit me is when I was alone. I think when you're around people, you just have enough distractions that maybe it just doesn't doesn't come in so easy. Well, and you also get uh social interaction. Like you can kind of get filled up a little bit from that and, and from uh the camaraderie that comes. Yeah, for sure. People. And especially like on the trail, everyone is just, everyone is just so nice and like, everyone's happy to like talk to you and hang out and just see another familiar face and hear a new story. And, it's just a very welcoming, happy place to be. So I think that helps too, because the energy is really good energy all around. That's what I've heard is, is the energy is, is amazing, which I think is part of the reason that people get addicted to through hiking. Yeah. I'm so excited for you, especially since you're starting, you're going to do the PCT this year and that's when I'm doing it. So I'm so excited for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll, <laughs> you've got to hear all these stories and now you just get to actually like jump in and be a part of it. That's so awesome. I know. Well, well, we'll see what my story is. I I've got a couple, I've got two different opportunities. One is the PCT and one is something else more work related. And I'm kind of straddling the fence right now between the two of them. And cause they'll both go on at the same time. So I'm kind of, Oh no, I know kind of playing <laughs> both sides and kind of see which, which happens. But, um, the the only thing I want to say is Please. it doesn't matter how much you plan. It doesn't matter how much any of, any of that stuff, the journey is going to be what it's going to be for you and everything's going to change along the way. And if something for work comes up and it's a great opportunity and you do that and then do the PCT next year, it's going to be there. If this opportunity is something that you really need to jump on, then jump on it. There's no reason to stress about the trail is never going to go anywhere. like it's there well and thank you for saying that too because i know i feel the pressure you know with obviously through this podcast i've been putting out there that i'm doing the pct this year 
And yeah. so I feel kind of the pressure. I, I feel almost a little bit like I'm letting people down if I, for whatever reason, have to choose, make a different choice. So that's so the great you. thing about the through hiking community is that we, we're not going to hold you to any standard to you. Oh, you said you're doing it. You have to do it. You're not doing the FKT. If you get out there, great. If you don't, no one's going to be upset. They're, everyone understands, especially when it becomes uh, between your career and something that you're going to enjoy. Well, thank you. Yeah. Now, how did you first end up on the AT? <laughs> oh, gosh. So it's a, it's a little <laughs> bit of a story. <laughs> I'm so, sure you've told that many uh, times before, but... I know I need to make a video and just post it on YouTube because I do get asked that question. But anyway, I've done a lot of outdoor activities. I've always been outdoor kind of person and I've hiked when I was younger and, but nothing, nothing that much. Just like, Oh, let's go for a hike. Probably I would say two or three years ago, one of my friends, she's an adventure junkie and was going on all these adventures. And so I was like, Oh, I want to go on one of your adventures. It's like so awesome. And so I, we flew to Zion and we went, uh, canyoneering. And then that was like the first real overnight I'd ever done, but it was car camping. So literally in the car in a tent, right at a campsite, right by the car, we didn't like backpack or anything. So I'd never done backpacking, but I just kind of had this life change. So I had horses. I've been in the horse industry for 18 years. And I, my, my landlord that I was leasing from approached me and said, Hey, we're going to sell the property. So we're not going to renew your lease this year. And I had already been there for four years. And I was like, okay, this is the push. This is the push I needed because I had thought about buying a place previously. And I just, I looked at all these places, couldn't find anything ever. There's little things that just nothing would ever work out. So I was like, maybe this is a sign that I need to sell the horses and go on a different route. Maybe this is it. So I was like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm thinking about this selling the horses. So I had 12 head of horses, a whole operation that I built my life around. And I came upon Jessica Mills, homemade wonderlust, uh, Dixie, one of her videos about the Appalachian trail. And I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I literally watched a video and was like, this, it's amazing. Nice. Like I'm, I'm gonna sell the horses. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna through hike. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> and <Wow. laughs> I like binge watched every single episode that she had, all her videos, everything. And I was like, this is the coolest thing. I never knew anything like this existed. And so I started selling the horses and selling off my stuff and. It is amazing how much stuff we accumulate over the years. Cause oh, hell yeah. I was like, what is all this shit that I have? <laughs> I donated so much stuff. I like when I went through clothes, I was like, why do I have all these clothes? I, I've never even worn half of these. So I just, I literally just started throwing it all in contractor bags, like what you use for your pack liner. Mm-hmm. Just started throwing it in there. And I just took it and donated it. I was like, I don't, I don't need this stuff. This is ridiculous. And sold everything, start selling everything off. And then I went on this mini little trip. I have two dachshunds, uh, miniature dachshunds, squirt and seven. And we just went and set off on this trip. And we went to Virginia and had a little adventure up there. And 
my dog was pregnant at the time and she had complications and had had to have an emergency c-section spay and it was kind of it was like a scary situation for me and left there and i was on my way back to texas this is after some time and she was on the floorboard and she was crying i was like trying to get her up but i should have pulled over but didn't and Mm. When I got her up, someone had pulled out with a peanut harvester on a trailer going down the highway, and it was too late. I swerved and braked and ran up underneath it and was lucky to be alive. The pictures are pretty bad. Um, I saw them. The fire department, yeah, the fire department was just like, you shouldn't be alive. We don't even understand how you're alive. Like, this car we've had cars with less damage and people don't survive in that situation. My dog broke her pelvis. She's okay. Now everything's fine. But to me, that was really close to home because that's how my mom passed away. And so I had been on the fence about, am I making the right decision? Should I really go through hiking? Should, am I, am I really making a good decision selling everything that I've worked so hard for? And to me, that moment, as scary as it was and as bad as it could have been, I feel like my mom and grandma protected me in some way. And that was their push to be like, hello, life is short. Open your eyes. Go do this amazing thing. And so that's the message I took from it. And that's the message that I ran with. And that's what got me out on the trail 100% was just that thought. That's just what I would think about. (laughs) No, what was your, when you first went out on the trail, when you showed up at Manning or not Manning, when you showed up at, oh my Amicola. God. Yeah. When you showed up there, yeah. what was your goal at that point? My goal. So I kind of, when I went down the rabbit hole, it started off with just the AT and then I was, oh my God, there's this thing called the triple crown. Like I have to do it. This is it. You know? I've done a lot of really cool things in my life and I've like, I think the horses are like the best things in fly spread. They saved my life as a kid. I had a pretty hard upbringing. And I think if it wasn't for horses that I would be down a completely different path than I ever went down. And so for me, I was like, this is going to be the biggest accomplishment of my life is to do a triple crown. So when I got to Amicola, my, my, my goal was, oh, I'm going to get to Katata. I was like, I'm going to do this thing. And about <laughs> an hour into it, I was like, this is really, really, really hard. <laughs> this, this is rough. And I was carrying a pretty heavy pack at the time because I, I had this mindset that Oh, I'm 29. Like I can carry the weight. My body can do it. I can, I can carry heavy things. I've ridden horses my whole life. I, I carry 175, 150 pound bills. I, Hey, like this is no big deal. But after that first day I did eight miles and I thought there is no way I am ever going to be able to walk, you know, 2,200 miles to Katahdin. There's just, there's just no way. This is so hard. Eight miles a day, I'm never going to make it. And <laughs> I was like covered in sweat. I had never, I'd set my tent up one time. <laughs> and um, it was just like this, this 
moment that I was like, this is amazing, but oh my gosh, is this really going to, is this really going to happen? Like, am I really going to be able to make it? Because I was like, my back hurts, this pack is heavy. You know, there's just all these things going through my mind. And so I was like, well, I guess we'll see what tomorrow brings. We'll just walk and see how it goes. <laughs> but I started with the goal of a triple crown and getting to Katata. But that first day, I definitely was a little leery of if I was going to be able to do it or not. <laughs> How long did it take you to feel confident, at least about getting to Katahdin? I, I don't know how long it really took me to feel confident, but I think one of the biggest things that helped me become confident is seeing familiar faces. So there was, I think because the Appalachian Trail is so popular and everyone probably either does a pro trail, gets to this point, or they start, you know, up there on top of, uh, I can't even think about where it is now, <laughs> but start the trail. Um, they don't do the approach trail. They just start right there. You have these big groups of people. And I feel like when you see the, when you like, get there, you're like, oh, hey, my name's John. Like, you know, you kind of introduce yourself and you all kind of start talking and you form this little bond. And so I think seeing those people on a daily basis really help, at least helped me. I just would set these goals and I'd be like, oh, where are you guys going? And they would say, oh, we're going here, we're going there. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll go there too. And so I remember my first, my first full day, my first real day on the trail, I left kind of early. And I was ahead of the group <laughs> and I got to the shelter and there was a guy there, but no one else had gotten there yet. And I was like, I'm going to go down to the Creek and like soak my feet. And it's so early 1230. And I had gone pretty far. I don't know, like 12 miles or something that day. Maybe it was, maybe it was only eight miles. I can't, I can't remember hundred percent but it was Hank Mountain Shelter. And I think whenever I was like, I think I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to have lunch. I'll just keep, keep walking. And a couple people that I had met when I first started uh, showed up when I got done soaking my feet. And I was like, they're like, Oh, it's supposed to rain and it's going to storm. And da, da, da. I was like, you know, I'm just going to stay here. I like all these people. I'm just going to stay here. And so for me, when I started every day seeing those same people, it just really gave me the confidence that, yeah, I'm going to be able to do this because these great people are also doing the same thing and we can do this together. And there was particular people. There's this older gentleman, his name's Jimmy Trail. And I hiked around him and with him for quite a while. And he was, I think, a really good force for me because I saw him doing the approach trail and I thought, I'm never going to see this guy again, this older gentleman, you know, he's just doing his slow little pace. And lo and behold, every day I would see him and we became pretty good friends. And I remember we would, he would do the same miles as we were doing. And one day he just looked at, we were walking along and he just said, you know, I watched this YouTube or something or read this thing. And uh, this guy talked about, it's not about the miles that you do every day. And it's not about how fast you get there. And he's like, 
the last one to Katahdin wins because you enjoy the journey. So he said, <laughs> I can do it, but I'm going to slow down and do it my and do it and enjoy it a different way. And I was like, Oh, that's really cool. And I think someone like that just really like gave me the inspiration. I'm like, if this guy is doing this, he just gave up his job and his career and everything to come hike this trail. And for me, it just gave me the confidence to be like, I can do this. You know, it just really made me feel a lot better. And I think when I started paring down my gear and sending stuff home and getting my pack lighter, that also helped because I didn't hurt as much. (laughs) What was the first thing you ended up or sending home or, or leaving in a, in a hiker box? I sent home so much stuff. So I got to Neil's Gap and I just, I was trying to like go through stuff a little bit, but I had never backpacked, so I didn't know. And I had brought extra stuff, like some extra clothes. And I feel like that's the number one thing that people take on the Appalachian Trail that's too much is usually clothes. And I still carry too many clothes because I carry an extra pair of shorts and an extra shirt for when I do laundry. And that outfit started off as sleep clothes. And then you just kind of get really lazy and don't want to take off your clothes to put on clean clothes. (laughs) I sent home a bunch of clothes and I had, I had this idea. I sent home my stove and my pot and I sent home all this stuff because I had this idea that I was gonna refill my fuel canisters because there's this little thing that you can refill your fuel canisters so i sent that home and because i heard all these stories about how people leave these half empty fuel canisters and hyper boxes and i was like oh i can just use those to fill up my canister and i just had all these crazy ideas when i started so i sent a bunch of this not necessary stuff home that i just i don't even know why i carried it remember i had like like an extra like an extra cup just drink out of and I was like why do I have this <laughs> I don't need this <laughs> so I did the typical like Talenti tar- jar and mm-hmm. just cold soaked and then I ended up switching to Ziploc bags freezer Ziploc bags and that was my favorite thing to use <laughs> two two questions out of that actually what made you decide to go to cold soaking and how did the Ziploc bag stand up versus like the Talenti jar? Ah, so for me, I just, there was two things. So I had gotten a pot with a lid that I, I thought this was the coolest thing. So it's actually a pasta pot and it's made for backpacking and the lid like clips on, but because it like stays on there, it has like this little lip and it was kind of sh- not, it was sharp in the sense that I thought it might like rub and mess up my sleeping bag or something over time. So I was like, I probably should send this home. Like, I don't need this stove. I don't need this pot. I can just cold soak because I had met people that were cold soaking. And I, for me, at the end of the day, when I'm hot, I don't want a hot meal usually. I just want to eat my food and like, edit videos, watch YouTube, or I mean, uh, watch Netflix and just chill. I don't, I don't want to go through the hassle of cooking and cleaning and being hot because I'm a pretty hot hiker in general. So I tend to never wear any lo- anything long. I usually made my shorts and my shirt and that's it. Even on the AT when it rained, I was, I hardly ever wore my rain jacket. Like 
maybe five, eight times. And I think most of that was through like the lights where it was really cold. <laughs> but if it's just raining and it's not cold, I don't usually wear my raincoat. So I'm just normally pretty warm uh, in my sleeping bag. I started with the Western Mountaineering Versalite, which is, I think, a 10 or 15 degree bag. And I was sweating. The only time that I was comfortable and not hot was in the Smokies when it was snowing. And I quickly sent that home and got something different (laughs) because I was way too hot. And I didn't know because I had never done backpacking before. And I just, people are like, oh, it gets so cold and yada, yada, yada. So I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to freeze. I'm going to need this like really warm sleeping bag. And I love the Versalite, but it's way too too warm for the Appalachian Trail. Yes. Or it's too warm um, for you. For me, yes. So there was, I actually got off in Maine and hung out, not Maine, I'm sorry, Maryland, and hung out with a friend of mine and had someone mail me some Costco quilts that I had at home. And while on the trail, I used a sewing machine and made my own summer quilt. So I took two of those double black diamond quilts and you pull the thread out of some of the baffles and make the baffles just one direction. And then because I didn't want to deal with pulling down out, I just shook the down down and then folded it and cut it and sewed it closed and (laughs) made it as nice as I could. Because the problem is the double black diamond quilt that you get from Costco are are just like a throw blanket and they're not long enough for just, I'm only 5'10", so I'm not very tall. So I made this summer quilt. I had this, most people get their winter gear back when you get to like New Hampshire, I think. And I stayed so warm that I decided that I didn't need my summer or my winter gear again. So I just kept this quilt. And when I got through the White Mountains, I was uh, like, I'm like, I'm a little cold, but not like freezing cold. So I went in a hiker box. It was raining and cold. I went in a hiker box and there someone had left their base layer and it was like an extra large. So it was way too big for me. But I was like, this is going to work. I'll just use this if I need it. So I threw it in my backpack, and, you know, like carry the thing. When I was on top of Katata, I had everything I owned on because <laughs> it was so cold. I had... My puffy jacket that I'd probably worn like three or four times was the only warm gear I kept besides my raincoat. And I had it all on and on top of Katana and I had my sleeping bag around me as well. <laughs> so yeah, for sure my 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 gear changed a lot, but the sleeping bag was definitely one of those things that was just way too warm for me when I started. I don't even know how I got on that tangent. I'm sorry. No, you're you're fine. But it also but it does actually remind me because when you prepared for the TA, you made yourself a quilt as well. But a warmer yeah, version of it. A definitely a way better warmer version. So I met this girl named Chili Ben Hikes on the AT, and she is the one who gave me the idea. Well, I already had the idea to do the the summer quilt as a double black diamond but i talked to her and they had done something similar and that was like my big push to do that so then i was like man if i could do this i could make a quilt for the for the ta i like the quilt concept it worked very well for me 
So I was super nervous when I bought all the stuff to make my quilt, but I bought my, my materials from Rift Shop by the Roll and I watched probably a gazillion YouTube videos <laughs> and designs and whatnot. And the materials, they're not super expensive, but it's still that whole concept of measure twice, cut once. Yeah. Cause you can't put it back together once. You, I mean, I guess you could, but it's one of those things that you just want to do it right the first time. And I had never done anything with down or from scratch or anything. And, um, I tend to, when I made my, my summer quilt, I learned that I liked my quilt longer. A lot of people will make their, will buy a quilt shorter or sleep back shorter because they want to cut the weight. And then they like, curl up or put a beanie on or whatever but i tend to roll a lot in my sleep because my body hurts so my knees will hurt my ankles will hurt and i have to move to get off of the sore part to get to a different sore part to give it some rest you know (laughs) yeah so i don't do well with trying to like stay warm with something that's to my neck i want to be able to like cover my face if i want to or whatever i need to do so I designed this quilt. I like drew it all out, had all these dimensions. I, I taught myself how to do the down, how to do the, the temperature rating. And then I did like a 30% over stuff or something like that. And I had a, I had taped, and my friend has this garage that they turn into what they call the boys' room. So it's like an extra living room. And they have this big concrete floor. So I like laid out all my stuff and I taped it to the floor. And my friend was over and so I was measuring it and he helped me, helped me like hold everything. And I took the chalk and like marked it all out and I cut it. And when I cut it and I went to remeasure it, it was a different measurement because (laughs) when I had, when I pulled it, I had stretched it. So when I, when I went to, and uh, for my foot box, I did like this taper. So it was at an angle. Then I realized that the black side that I used, I put the chalk on the wrong side. (laughs) So there's two sides. There's like a glossy side and a non-glossy side. And I was like, oh no, that's the outside. Like you want the marks on the inside. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? And I tried like wiping it off and it didn't wipe off. And I was like, this is supposed to be water soluble. Why is it not coming off? And I was like, oh, whatever. So I just kept it the way it was. I was like, it'd be fine. So I, that was definitely a learning experience. I learned a lot. And the biggest thing I learned is if you don't have any experience with making a quilt, believe me when I tell you that it is worth paying the money to the people to buy <laughs> a good quality quilt because it is super stressful and it is not as easy as I thought it was, but it's super rewarding to get into my quilt every night on the trail and be like, yeah, I made this, this keeps me warm. And it was, I love it. It's so cool. Everyone that I see that they, so I made a post on the TA group about my gear and my quilt. Cause I'm very happy that it turned out to be a piece that was usable. <laughs> and yeah. everyone'd be like, Oh, you're that guy that made his own quilt. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. They're like, Oh, I want to see it. That's so awesome. And so I like show them and, show them the little things I designed that I picked out to design it with. And I don't know, it's really cool, at least for me. <laughs> no, it is really cool to 
to have, not only have it, you know, be something that you made, but, but to take that idea and, and then design it based on the things that you now know about yourself. You know, you can can put it this way. You can do this with the toe box. You can, you know. Yeah. And that's one thing I did learn too, is after using it on the trail. So there was a night that I, there was a couple nights at Cowboy Camp, but this one particular night I was by a lake, which was not the smartest idea, but there was no good place for me to set up my tent. And I'm really weird about my gear. I don't want it to get messed up. So I just laid my ground sheet out and put my pad down and slept on the ground. But when I did where, where I was sleeping, I could kind of feel a little bit of a draft almost at the foot box because I put a zippered foot box with a string, you know, the shot cord to pull it closed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you can't get it completely like airtight. <laughs> so yeah. I took it and I like took the extra cord and wrapped it around it and tied it. So it would close the hole. And I think for me, I, I never opened it and used it like a full on blanket because my foot box, what I did for my quilt is I made like a zippered foot box. That's just enough to put my feet in. And then the rest of it, I leave open, but I also have a pad system. So it will like snap to a pad if you want to keep it snug around you. And I think when I get home back up to Northern California, I'm going to actually sew the foot box closed because I think it's not meant to be a summer quilt. So I don't think I'm ever going to be in an area where when I use that quilt that I'll need it. But I think I like the idea of closing it all the way up because I don't, I never opened it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it seems like, extra weight that I don't need, which I know it seems silly because it's just a zipper and some cord, but <laughs> every ounce counts. <laughs> I know. Grams turn to ounces and ounces turn to pounds. <laughs> yep, exactly. Now where did you get the materials? I think you might have said, but where did you get the materials for the quilt? So I got the I used point six six taps and nylon and I got that from Rick Stop by the Roll and I think I got the shot cord from them as well and maybe the webbing, but you can get like shot cord and all that stuff, tons of other places, but ripstop by the roll is the only good place that I know to buy the fabric. And then the, the down, I actually got from down linens because they sell like, uh, what is it? 950 or yeah, I think it's 950. 950. Um, and then it's a DWR, so it's like water, nice. yeah. it repels the water. They only sell it by, I think it's like a pound or something, and it is more, it is expensive, but it's the cheapest, best down that I could find. And I think from what I've read is most people buy their down from there, or they'll buy it from Ripstop by the Roll. I think Ripstop by the Roll doesn't, they don't have a 950, I think it's 850 or something like that. How did you know how, what, how, how much to stuff? That's a really good question. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because that's the most important part of it. Yeah. So I originally was going to make a synthetic bag because I was like, oh, it'd be easy. I can just lay it all out, cut it, sew it, Mm -hmm. it'd be done kind of thing. And then I didn't like the idea of it not being as compactable because with the, with the synthetic, you just pretty much buy your temperature rating. And that's the thickness of your material. So it's 
pretty, like it just does it for you. Right. But then I was like, no, nah, I want to do down because it gets so small. And I like a smaller pack. The sleeping bag, there's an equation. You call it sleeping bag, everything you need to know. And it's basically you take the length and the width and then the temperature rating. I'm trying to think about how I did it because I have, I'm sure I have it written down somewhere. But it's basically you take the length, the width, and then how or how warm you want it and the equation that you do. And I can post that somewhere and give it to you. Sure, I have it written somewhere in my phone, but I don't want to be distracted looking no for worries. it. <laughs> yeah, no uh, but yeah, so I looked it up online and it took me a while to find it. But that gives you a rough idea of how the temperature rating, but then you also want to overstuff it because you're going to lose down over time and, you know, it compresses and shifts and all that. But for me, I haven't, I've lost like two feathers. <laughs> <laughs> so if your, if your quilt is sewn properly, it shouldn't lose feathers. <laughs> right. Right. Now, are you going to use this? I mean, with a couple of adjustments that you've mentioned, are you going to use the same quilt on the PCT? <sighs> I haven't made that decision yet. Oh, boy, uh, okay. I kind of, I kind of toyed with the idea of making a new one because I still have, I bought material to make two and I have enough down to make another one. So I thought about making another one for the PCT, but then I also thought about maybe just using this one because I do love it. It's a super comfortable quilt. My only thought process is it's a little on the warm side because when I went to New Zealand or when I was getting ready for New Zealand, everyone told me, oh, the weather in New Zealand is so different. Like it's going to be cold in the mountains. Like you're going to want a really warm sleeping bag and you're going to want all this winter gear. So I was like worried. So I made this quilt to be like a 15, 20 degree quilt. And it keeps me plenty warm. (laughs) And I did not need it. (laughs) There was like maybe a couple nights where I needed that kind of temperature readings. But I think other than that, it was a little overkill for me because I'm such a warm sleeper. You know, it it can get cold on the PCT. I know the desert gets so cold. I've been in Arizona when it's been like 110 degrees outside and then freezing cold at night. Yeah. So I might start with Sierras. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say is in the Sierras, if I went with a warmer quilt, what my plan would be is to basically just have my winter gear, which would be like, you know, bear can, ice axe. And I would probably have my VersaLite sent to me because that thing is, I mean, you will not get cold in a VersaLite unless you're like a really cold sleeper, I guess. But it's a mummy bag that has like a hood and like a ring around the neck. Like <laughs> the thing is so amazing. So I think I was just going to have that shipped to me because then I wouldn't have to worry about drafts or anything. I hate being cold. That's the only thing, like, I'm not worried about the Sierras. I'm not worried about hiking in the snow, even though I've never really hiked in the snow. I just don't like being cold. So being a hot sleeper, I think the only thing I might want is my birth of life. (laughs) Right. Right. That would be very ironic if you get into the Sierras and it is, I mean, it's cold, but you're still warm. And now you're throwing your Versalite off. <laughs> I know. 
And I'm like, it's so hot. I can't do it. I got to unzip the first light. <laughs> what kind of a, a tent are you using? So that's a good question. <laughs> I, I Okay. Now you've got me intrigued. So I started on the Appalachian Trail. I started with a Lanshan 2. They call it a Mir 2. It's a, two, a double wall tent that the design is basically a replica of what a duplex looks like. People will argue that, but I have, I own both tents and they look the same except for one's a double wall and one's a single wall. But that tent didn't hold up very well for me. The zipper broke, things started breaking. So I switched out and bought a duplex. I bit the bullet and bought the duplex. And I love my duplex. The only, the only thing is with there not being much rain on the PCT, I think I'm going to go to a tarp. Oh, okay. I actually was researching it last night, looking at different tarps and stuff. Because I like to cowboy camp, and I'm really lazy, and that's why I like to cowboy camp, even though I've only done it a handful of times. But I'm the person that i rather sleep a little longer and then get up and go. So on the AT, when I could sleep, I remember when I started the AT, I was like, I'm never sleeping in a shelter. I'm not going to to a hostel, I'm not going to a motel, I'll just sleep in the woods. I'm gonna be like this outdoors back <laughs> backcountry guy. Like oh, that that changed so fast. That second night I was like, oh that shelter sounds great right now. <laughs> so I like to just get in a shelter cowboy camp or whatever. That way I don't have to put a tent away. And it seems so silly because a tent doesn't take that long to take down or roll up or put away. But I just like a little bit of extra sleep. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that from a number of people that, you know, at a certain point you get, you're exhausted and that's just one more thing that you don't want to have to do. It really is. And I've never done a tarp, but my thought process was I can't go hiking without some sort of shelter. When I hear about these people that shelter hop and stuff on the AT with no tent, I just think, what are you doing? Like, there's so many things that could go wrong. So I have to have something. And there are people that hike whole trails with just tarps. So I figure if they can do it, I can do it. So I was thinking, get a bug net because I don't want to deal with mosquitoes yeah. <laughs> and get a tarp. Uh, and for those areas that are, you know, more dew and such, then I can use the tarp to keep the dew off me. But I think in the Sierras, I would still mail my duplex to myself to use because I don't want to deal with snow and a tarp and the wind so that's one thing i did notice a lot about even just the duplex is it's so much warmer inside of a tent than it is even sleeping in a shelter i think because the space is so small right it just holds the heat in even the netting this is the crazy thing for me because you would think okay well if you're in a tarp then you're going to hold the heat in as well but i can physically feel like when i zip my mesh clothes i can feel a difference in the temperature from the breeze that actually comes through if you have a door open i think the mesh actually keeps you warm as well just as like a cold block like maybe the breeze just gets blocked a little more just that little bit of impediment uh yeah temperature now you you do know a couple of people who've done the pct or, or you're friends with a couple of people who've done the pct have you asked them about about tents or yeah tarp tent duplex whatever (laughs) yeah so it's funny i actually have several friends that have done the pct and i've seen pictures (laughs) 
<laughs> and they uh, they cowboy camped mostly. Oh, the ones yeah. that I've talked about it. So they cowboy camp mostly. Um, they said in the Sierras, they did sleep in their tents. And one of them has a duplex and one of them has a soloplex or whatever it's called now. So they, they both had their tents for that section. I think they carried their tents the whole section, but they just cowboy camped most of the time. And when I was on the AT, I was like, what is this cowboy camping thing? Like, this is so crazy. Just sleeping out without anything on you. Cause on the AT, you just can't do that because it just rains yeah. so much and you don't know when it's going to rain. It just does what it wants to do. And so I was so jealous. I was like, what? You get to sleep under the stars? Like, that is so cool. <laughs> you who is an actual cowboy getting to camp. Yeah, I know. I know. It's crazy. It's funny because on the AT, people were like, oh, you're a cowboy? Like, we should call you cowboy or horse guy. And I was like, no. absolutely not (laughs) i was like i don't want my name to do anything to do with horses because it's part of my life but a separate part uh it's ironic because because the pct is graded for horses the thought has crossed my mind several times that i'm like hmm maybe someday i want to do the pct horseback like that would be really freaking cool like I don't know. So it's funny that I say that. And then now all of a sudden I'm like, oh, maybe I should do the PCT on horseback. That'd be different. (laughs) Because I met some people on the TA that were riding the length of the country on their horses that they, they moved to New Zealand. They, you know, rescued these horses and trained them for like three years. And now they set off on this massive journey to ride the length of the country. That's amazing. Do you remember so who incredible. they were? Do they post on Instagram at all? I would love to follow them and see how that goes. I don't know if they have an Instagram, but I have, let me find it. I have, it's called Human and Horse on Facebook. Their website is .co.nz slash rewild dash project. Got it. Okay. Maybe it's human and horse. I'll have to look and try to figure it out for you, but I can message you that on Instagram later. But it is the human and horse project. Okay. No, I'm interested. I, and I didn't realize, I guess that the PCT is set up for horses, but it, it seems perfect for it. I mean, considering this is the, the, the West and, you know, cowboys, horses, I think the route is slightly different on some of it for horses. But from what I understand, you can ride a horse the whole PCT, which would be interesting to me how people do that logistically because horses require quite a bit of food. You know, if they're carrying you, you can't really like carry their food and it's heavy. And so when I was talking to those people in New Zealand, they said that they just left the horses like graze on the grasses that are around. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing, but also kind of scary. In the sense that, like, you don't know if you're going to get an area with enough food, but their horses look great, super healthy and fat. It works in New Zealand, apparently. But even, like, if they're going from, from tip to tip, you know, I mean, at the north, there's the 90-mile beach and that kind of stuff. Like, I wonder how they're feeding up there. Yeah. So, actually, funny you say that, is on 90-mile beach, there are wild horses. <laughs> how ironic. <laughs> Yeah. So there's grass and stuff around. I didn't really venture anywhere, but they must get it from somewhere because there was wild horses out there running around. It was really cool because me being a horse person, I was like, 
oh my God, these things, wild horses out here on the beach. Like, how cool is this? And they like come running by me. And I, I took a bunch of video of them like running by and like snorting. And it was really cool. So, but yeah, logistically, I don't know how they do that. <laughs> Speaking of that though, what are you using to, for camera or were you just using your phone or? Okay. So I have an iPhone XS. And that's what I've been using for all my videos and pictures, except this is the craziest thing. Me being a hiker, you know, we always talk about weight and everything. I carried a camera the whole entire trail because I wanted to take night photographs. (laughs) Did you take any night photographs? I took like three nights. I And I, I did use it. I went to Milford Sound and I did take some pictures of some Kia with it, which was really cool. But yeah, I, I had these like big plans in my head that I was, I bought this like nice Sony mirrorless camera so I could like take night photos because New Zealand is so beautiful and cruel that you have like, you don't have this light exposure or light pollution like we do. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And there was one night that I purposely was, I slept by the lake that night that I talked about. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get some night photos because I'm on top of this mountain. There's nothing around. It's going to be perfect. And I was so tired that day. I woke up in the middle of the night and it was midnight, one o'clock or something. And the sky was so beautiful. And I started to unwrap because I keep my camera in in a dry bag. I started to unwrap it. And I just closed my eyes for a minute and fell back asleep. <laughs> and I woke back up again and I was like, oh, it's so beautiful. And I was like finishing unwrapping it and I fell back asleep again. And then when I woke back up, oh, wow. it was cloudy. It was all cloudy. And I was like, oh, I can't be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it wasn't meant to be. Yeah. You know, all these times I was like, oh, I'm going to do it. And you would just be so tired. I think the other problem too is in New Zealand. It's, it's daylight until like 10 p.m. So you would have to go to sleep at like, I don't know, eight, set an alarm and wake back up at like midnight, two in the morning to get really good night photographs, which is what I did a couple of times. But it was just too hard for me because I'm a night owl, but just I don't know how I still am a night owl, but. It just doesn't work. I'm too tired to be awake in the middle of the night to take night photos in New Zealand. Speaking of lack of light pollution, how was resupplying there? I mean, it's very rural. Actually, you know, the North Island is so populated how they take you on the trail. Because the North Island is so populated, you know, most of the population in New Zealand is on the North Island. So there's a lot of road walking, which is really unfortunate. And it's no one's fault. It's just how the trails routed. And there's a lot of farmland. So you can't really use those. You can't go through someone's land if they don't want you there. So resupplying North Island was super easy. I think the most I ever carried was four days or something. Granted, I'm hiking around 20 miles a day. But on the South Island, it's a little more rural. And they're is less options. So there's two points that you have to send in the box, which I am this, hmm, I guess <laughs> less knowledge is more knowledge in the sense that I don't want to know what's coming up. I just go, I'm going with the flow. I'm following the trail. I, when I get there, I'll figure it out kind of thing. 
And then I'll kind of look ahead a little bit to see like, oh, like how much food do I need for this section? So I was, I guess, outside Flores Bridge, which is on the South Island. And before you get to a section where you need to send yourself boxes. And most people send these boxes from Wellington on the North Island. <laughs> but I didn't know any better because I didn't look far enough ahead. And so I had to hitchhike into Nelson, which was a great experience. And I sent myself two resupply boxes, uh, one to Arthur's Path and one to St. Ahmed. And I think for those sections from Polaris Bridge, since I was in Nelson, I carried four days of food, I believe. And that was a pretty good hard section because of the elevation and the places that you camped and because I was doing bigger miles. And then I mailed myself, I think it was five or six days worth of food to St. Honored, which is the next place you get to. And I was so hungry that I ate all of that food. <laughs> and I actually had to get off at, oh, what is it called? Um, there's a section that you can actually get off and you can go into an area called um, Hamner Springs and so I got off at this area and hitched into Hamner Springs and got more food because I had talked to some people and they're like yeah you know that's like another five or six day section and I like looked at the miles and I was like yeah you're probably right like I probably should so I got enough food for like five or six days while I had way too much food. So not only was my pack heavy, but I did it in like three days because the train was a little more flat. So I had all this extra food. And then when you get to these sections, it's a river hazard zone. And so when I got up to Arthur's Pass, I had another box. So I had all this food. Plus I had sent myself six more days of food to Arthur's Pass. And then I went into Queens or Queenstown, uh, Christchurch. So I didn't eat any of my food like that night or anything either. So I had all this food, and the next section is about. I did it in two days. The guy that I hiked with did it in two days, and so we had a friend that had hiked this hike in the Tierra and then he decided to quit, and so he was offering to get us around the river crossings. And so I sent my food with him. And so I had all this food in, in his car. And I had six, seven, I probably had about eight or nine days worth of food for, you know, six days worth of crossings. So two days, get more food, and then two days, get more food, and then go on. And so I had all this extra food that I did not need. So I started giving food away to people. <laughs> I was like, oh, do you need extra ramen? Here you go. Like, I don't need all this. So the resupply wasn't that bad, except for in those sections. Right. And then it sounds like you might have overplanned a little bit too for those sections. Yeah, I should not have gotten off there. I shouldn't have gotten off in between the Arthur's Pass and St. Honored. It For me, it wasn't necessary. For other people, it probably is because they probably either hike a different pace or maybe plan a little better than I do. <laughs> now, what were you, what were you eating mostly? So I cold soaked. So my diet was terrible. Um, 
I'm taking my stove on the PCT just for clarification. <laughs> New Zealand taught me that I wanted my stove again. <laughs> because of why? Lack of option. And I am okay. so tired of eating top ramen and mashed potatoes and bars. So my ever like both times when I started the trail, I was like, I'm doing oatmeal for breakfast, and I'll do bars for snacks, and I'll do candy. And so when I started the TA, I was doing that. And then for lunch, I would do wraps with hummus and beets. I really love pickled beets and they're super common over there. So they're easy to get in like this plastic bag that you cut open and they usually stick the hummus and beets and stuff stay good for several days. I think I carried them for like four or five days, no problem. And then for dinner, I was doing ramen. And then if I was still hungry, I would mix some mashed potatoes into the mashed potatoes and just eat that. But then when I sent myself those resupply boxes, the hummus isn't going to stay good because I'm going to have to mail it like a week to two weeks ahead of time. So, okay, got to do something different. So I picked tuna back up, which I haven't eaten since the AT. And I was very, very... Mm, skeptical <laughs> on eating tuna, but it was the only thing I could think of with lots of calories and protein that wasn't peanut butter. So um, New Zealand has really, really yummy tuna. It's way better than our tuna. <laughs> <laughs> and so they had these pepper something kind of one, and then they had this other one that was like a tomato one, and they both were really good. And I actually ended up eating tuna with uh, on a wrap with mayonnaise the entire rest of the trail for lunch. But my dinner never changed. And then I just ate bars for breakfast and snacks. And then occasionally I would eat candy. And uh, I tried to stay away from candy as much as I could. And instead I would eat uh, honey. Just like bringing packets of honey or bringing... <clears throat> no, so they sell... so. In New Zealand, they have what's called manuka honey. It's made from a native manuka plant. And I would just buy manuka honey in a small jar and just eat it with my spoon. <laughs> I've been known to take a spoon and just put some, some peanut butter on it and then uh, spread a little honey and, and do it that way. Yeah, so the honey is really good. And for me, so I don't tend to have allergies, but if I do get like a little runny nose or anything like that, I Instead of taking pharmaceuticals, I'd rather just eat a bunch of honey from where I'm at, and it usually helps. So it was kind of like a double-edged sword because honey is really good for your body, like natural antibodies or whatever they call it. An even more excuse to, to eat honey. Yeah, it was it was really good. It was good, for sure. Great choice. So So now you're switching back to the stove. Yeah, because I was so jealous seeing people eat like tortellini and all this other <laughs> stuff that I couldn't, there's, I couldn't eat it. <laughs> right. And the, there was this one time when it was, it started raining. So I got done early that day and I hung out with these people in the shelter and I was like, oh, do you think that I could like maybe boil some water in your pot? <laughs> And I had a peanut butter jar at this time to use to cook, to soak my food in. They're like, oh, yeah, no problem. Well, the water was a little too warm for my my peanut butter jar, so it was a little deformed because of the 
water. And so then I was like, this is just such a pain in the neck. Why don't I just pick a stove back up in a, in a pot and just, so I decided to get a more of bot and just use my BSR 3000 mm-hmm. stove. And it would just be just as easy. And if I want to cold soak, I can cold soak in the thing and don't have to worry about it. Carrying the stove doesn't mean you can't cold soak, but yeah, exactly. It just, I guess gives you more options. Yep. Now, what is your trail name out there? Survivor because of the car accident. But so I had a couple had, different... I was going to say, you had a couple of them, right? I had a couple different trail names. Uh, <laughs> no one actually... Kn- only the people on the trail know the very first trail name. <laughs> so when I started the... Tra- <laughs> so I'll tell you the story about the first way they started trying to give me a trail name. And I forgot about the reason I started cold soaking to begin with, actually. (laughs) Um, So there was someone that uh, I had bought a Coleman uh, gas can from Walmart when I got to Georgia. And I was being nice. And I was like, oh, if you want to use my fuel or my stove or whatever, go ahead. No big deal. This person needed, I think something was wrong with their stove or something. I was like, I'll just use my no big deal. And I go down to the creek and I'm like collecting water and I hear people yelling me, yelling for me to come up there. And I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, there's a fire. And I was like, a fire? Well, so the BSR stove is very touchy in the sense that if you turn the thing too fast or whatever, it will kind of like fluctuate really fast and kind of spurt. Okay. It's like a $13 stove off Amazon, but it's super tiny and light. Anyway, someone had either something had happened and they threw it like off the table and it was by the, by the shelter. And I was like, oh my gosh, I flip it over and I turn it off. And I'm like, you guys, like, there's these troops, like you knocked the stove off. Like that could have been so bad. And, um, so they first wanted to call me like fireball or something like that and i was like it's not even my fault like this was i wasn't even here i was down by the creek and so when that happened and we took my stove off the fuel canister the the, i think what happened is the plug that keeps the fuel like regulated broke off and so it just was spraying fuel everywhere and so i no longer had fuel to have hot food so that's how the cold cooking first began because i brought couscous and I was like, oh, I can just eat the couscous. No big deal. <laughs> Cold couscous is disgusting. I don't know how Darwin <laughs> does it, but it is not good. I could barely eat my food. And yeah, I don't know. But then, so then people like piggybacked off of that and um, they called me hot legs. And I was like, you're not hot calling legs. me hot okay. legs. And some of that was from the fireball thing. And part of that was because I never wore pants. Even when it was freezing cold and the wind was cold, I was... I put my pants on and like two minutes later, I take them off. I was like, I can't wear these ring pants. I'm so hot. And so this guy that was hiking for, I think he was doing a fundraiser for, he was ex-military and I think he was doing something to do with that. And so he was calling me hot legs. And I was like, you can't call me hot legs. That's a girl name. You can't. <laughs> I was like, I can't let you call me that. And then I got catch because people would say that I was like quick or I was trying to catch up to them or they were trying to catch up to me. And then I got Simba because I would watch the Lion King when I walked 
by myself because <laughs> it was Watched like it the while only. You were walking? <laughs> I would get so bored because you're in like this tunnel, and I had I wanted to do something, so I would just like put the Lion King on and like hold it in front of me while I walked, and yeah, I would watch Lion King while I walked, and then I just met these people and was talking to them and telling them they're like, "That's a really weird trail name." <laughs> and I was telling them a little bit about my my story and whatnot about my car accident. And they're like, dude, that's your name, Survivor. And I was like, wow, that actually makes way more sense and is way more meaningful. And they're like, it's that or 1%. And I was like, nah, I don't want to be 1%. <laughs> <laughs> so it stayed, it just stuck with Survivor. <laughs> now on the TA, I'm assuming that you just stuck with Survivor as well. On the TA, they did not do trail names. Ah, uh, okay. And they don't like trail names. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Um, so I heard that they didn't do trail names from the beginning, so I didn't even try to do it. But apparently there's there's another American. His name is Michael. And I can't even remember what his trail name is now. But he's a super cool guy from the States who is actually – so he's in pro he's in the middle of doing an Appalachian trail through hike, his second one, but he left the trail to go to New Zealand to do the TA. And then he's coming back to finish the, the Appalachian trail. Crazy cool guy. But he tried like, Oh, Hey, you know, my trail name is so, such and such. And there, the people at the place he was at was like, at the hospital. Oh, we don't do trail names in New Zealand. That's an American thing. We don't do that. here." <laughs> <laughs> so oh, when I heard that story, Americans. I was like, Oh, it's true. We have such a bad reputation. I don't, I felt like so uncomfortable when I first was in New Zealand because everyone talks about our politics. Everyone asks you about your stance on our president. They, they will ask you who you voted for and they kind of have this preconceived idea of what Americans are. Even in the, in the groups on Facebook and stuff, there was people that would I wouldn't say like talk down about Americans, but they would say like how the Americans have been like rude to them or stuff on the mm-hmm. look down on them on trail. And I'm like, Oh my God, like, no, like that should never happen. And not all Americans are the same. So I always went above and beyond to try to be like extra nice to everybody. And not all of us are the same guys. Like some of us are actually like nice people. Yeah. It was really disheartening to hear people have such a different view of, your country and people here. So it was kind of disheartening. But you did your part. I tried my best. I tried. <laughs> when I met people uh, and I told them that I left California and went to Texas, they're like, oh, why would you go to such a dangerous place? And I was like, <laughs> dangerous place? Like, Texas is great. They're, I Like, I never felt more safe than I did when I moved to Texas. And being a gay man, like, when I went to Texas, I felt so comfortable and okay with who I was compared to when I was in Northern California. So it was really ironic. Um, and they're like, well, don't people just walk around carrying guns? <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> they're like, well, that's how it is in the movies. I was like, but that's not how it is in real life. Sure. People have guns, but you don't know they have guns because they're concealed. And so I had to explain that to people. And it was really interesting that they had this like perception that, Texas was this unsafe place and that why would I move to Texas? And it was really interesting. 
I can picture in my head you explaining to them a concealed weapons and that <laughs> making them feel better. I, I'm not sure about that one, John, but. No, but I mean, it's, yeah, so many people in New Zealand, it was very interesting to talk to them because they're like, guns are terrible. And I'm like, it's just part of the world, like the state yeah. now. I don't know how it will ever change, but. Yeah, it didn't it didn't work very well talking to them about guns. <laughs> but they did feel better like when I was like, Oh, Texas isn't like that. You're not gonna see like people walking down the road with an AK forty seven or whatever they're called. I'm like, it's not like that. And people don't just walk around with their like six shooter on their hip like <laughs> in the old western movies. <laughs> oh, old west. God, I love the old west. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, to to kind of I guess divert a little bit because I keep looking at this note that I have. You have a because you have a lot of pictures of. I'm not even sure what the proper term is. Is it newt or salamander or? Oh, on the trail on the t- yeah. Appalachian Trail, those were my favorite. So those are, oh gosh, they are a salamander. Um, I'm gonna look it up really quick. I'm not even sure what the distinction is between the two, but there you have it. Yeah. So I can't, so these particular ones, I can't remember the name of them, but they, it's really interesting. So the salamanders in those orange ones are actually the babies. So when they're born, they're this, they're this orange. And the reason that they're orange is they, it's to tell predators that they're poisonous. And when they become adults, they turn green and go back into the water. Huh. Okay. So are they yeah. actually poisonous? Cause I saw you holding a number of them. So. Yeah. They're not going to, they're not going to make you sick or hurt you, but if a predator eats it, they release like a toxin that would make them sick. Yeah. They were, oh, those things are so cool and they were so tiny. There were some that were so tiny. Yeah. It was hard to tell. And, until you, I think you had a one that where you had a picture of your thumb next to one or something like that. You <laughs> yeah. actually get some perspective. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say is I remember like I took, I was like, oh, look, here's next to my thumb. Look how tiny this thing is. I know it was itty bitty. So they're a red spotted newt is what it is, what it says. Um, okay. And they turn bright orange of teenagers apparently. But yeah, they, uh. It's really interesting is you would see those, especially after it rained. And I tend, so I broke my ankle before I had a broken ankle before I started the trail and it was all healed and I was cleared to go to the trail, but I was paranoid that I was going to like re-break my ankle. So I always was looking down. And so I would always see them on the ground. And so I would like pick them up and move them. And when I first saw them, I was like, oh, are they poisonous? And I would like use a stick and like try to move them, which was really difficult and then I just was like, ah, oh, heck, I'll just pick them up, whatever. And so I just started picking them up and moving them off the trail. <laughs> you were you were the caretaker? Yeah, because I didn't want them to get stepped on because, you know, so many people don't really realize that they're there. Cause they're, they're, I mean, they are so tiny. And some of them are, I mean, I think the biggest one that I saw was probably like five or six inches. They're not very big. But they are so cute. Yeah, they're very cute. I forgot all about them until you mentioned that. That's awesome. You're actually going to go back and look at some of these pictures. They're so adorable. So what was really funny is on my way to New Zealand, I bought an app to do videos. And so I started putting all of my pictures and stuff in videos, but I never Mm -hmm. actually finished making them. 
And when I would go through and see all these photos, I was like, oh my God, this brings back so many memories of the trail. Like, this is crazy. Like, I forgot about that. And yeah, looking at all those pictures, definitely. I think that's the best advice I can give anyone is even though people want to be disconnected from technology, take a phone and maybe don't have a SIM card in it and just take photos because you'll never remember it all. But if you can see those pictures, it will trigger those memories and bring back all the all the good times for sure. And and probably some of the bad times, but the bad times became yeah. good times. This is my this is my theory. You can't have a good time if you don't have bad times because all exactly. the bad times make you appreciate the good times. Exactly. It's kinda like so one of the messages that I kind of thought about and which I'm sure I said in other places that I said while I was on the TA is I'm always this big proponent for when you're hiking, don't always look forward and ahead of you. Sometimes stop and turn around and look at where you came from. Because sometimes the view behind you is just as gorgeous as the one ahead of you, or maybe it's more beautiful than the one that you're seeing. And sometimes you have to remember that past to like, don't forget all the bad times because there are the good times ahead that you have to see as well. So it's so interesting, our perspective on, on those things, how, how we try to avoid the bad a lot of times and, and the bad is what makes the good. Yeah, because if everything was always good, you would never appreciate it. You would never realize how good it was. Yeah, very true. Now, you've been, I mean, you've been hiking now almost a year straight, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. And I know you've basically sold all of your belongings and and all of that. (laughs) But how are you financing all of this at this point? Because it's not cheap. It's not cheap. So I am very, very frugal. (laughs) Like I said, I don't really stay in anything extra. I think I stayed in maybe two hostels, the whole TA. Other than that, I was in my tent or I would rely on maybe a trail angel here or there. And I got pretty lucky. So it was really interesting. There were several times when I would like break off away from people and be completely alone and trail magic would happen which was amazing and I remember this one time I was having kind of a rough day and I went down and I was sitting on I got to town and I was sitting on a bench and I was trying to figure out where I was going to stay what I was going to do for the night and these people came up and gave me a bag of donuts (laughs) and then I had about three or four people offer me a place to stay so I had a lot of really cool trail magic especially just in the North Island, because I think they know like OTA walkers kind of thing. But anyway, back to how I finance it. Um, <laughs> so I sold everything I owned and I had accumulated quite a bit of stuff. I had horses for 18 years. So I had, uh, I did my own reproduction work. So I had an ultrasound machine and all that equipment. And I had several saddles and they're, they're expensive. They're not cheap. Yeah. And like, a bunch of equipment. So I had a good amount of money saved up to be doing this. And then um, I still have stuff for sale actually back in Texas that my friend takes care of himself for me. And then I also have some extra hiking gear that my friend in Northern California ships out and sells for me as well. But I also sell hats, which I have made here in uh, California actually. And uh, that, that little bit helps every Every little bit helps, really. And that's really it. And like I said, the journey is going to continue as long as I can. But if the money runs out, then I'll have to go back to work. <laughs> How did you 
stumble on the hat thing and, and, or like, how did you determine or, or create the design for it? So the design actually started off as something completely different. And it was, I went on this hiking repelling trip and my friend, I had helped someone fell and hurt their ankle pretty bad. And so I helped like carry their gear and like help get them out up this mountain stuff. And so then my friends like joked around, we're like, you're like Superman. And so that was like my first kind of ish trail name. And so kind of, did a design on that. And then I didn't want to get in trouble with copyright infringement of like something like Superman. So I like, "Eh, let's, let's do something that if anything, if I were to ever make money with say YouTube or selling hats or something, I didn't want to get in trouble for having something that's trademarked as old as Superman. So I was talking to a friend of mine who does design work and stuff. And I was like, no, I want to like make this logo kind of, kind of thing. Cause I have a brand from when I had, ho- or when I had horses and it's the necklace that I wear. The chain is actually from my mom. And then the brand is just my initials on a star essentially. And so I was talking to her and she's like, well, let's make it like personal. And we started talking about it. And one of my other friends, I can't remember what we were going to have done. I was going to have him do something. He used to make shirts. And he's like, have you ever thought of like taking a picture of you and having it inverted? No. And he was, so he took some pictures of me hiking and made what essentially is the person on my logo is actually a picture of me hiking uh, in Zion. And um, so my friend, we just talked about different designs and stuff. And I said, Oh, it'd be really cool to do something with like, you know, a compass and mountains and the typical hiker idea and so i have this friend in oklahoma who helped me design the whole thing i i gave him the idea and like drew a rough draft a really really rough draft of it because i'm not i'm not a drawer or anything like that and um they just sent me all these different ideas and i said i don't want anything like the traditional compass i want it to be different so we kind of designed our own letters to make them different. So they weren't just an, you know, a regular compass. And it started off for something for myself. So I got, I wanted a hat. I wear lots of hats and I'm growing my hair to donate it to children with hair loss. With doing that, I have to wear a hat because I can't stand having hair in my face. (laughs) And (laughs) I don't know how girls do it because it drives me nuts. (laughs) So I, I, one take a hat and so I was like, Oh, I saw these really cool hats with a leather patch. And I was like, Oh, maybe I should have one of those made. So I had three or four of them made for myself and I posted them on Facebook and my friends were like, Oh my gosh, those are so cool. Like you should sell those. And I was like, eh, I don't think people will buy them. Like it's just my little logo that I made for myself for hiking. Like, I don't, I don't think anyone's going to be interested. And they're like, no, we'd like totally be interested. And so that's how it started. I had the first batch made and I did it while I was on the trail, which was quite interesting and a little bit of a challenge at first. So I had the first batch made and then sent to a friend's place and I went, I rented a car in Maryland and then I drove, picked them up and drove them to my other friend's house in Virginia and packed them all up and shipped them all out. 
and took tons of photos. And then my friend in Virginia, Joe, he's like a dad to me. Um, he offered to ship out all the rest of the hats as I travel whenever I sell them. And so he is my support team on that. He ships my hats for me. <laughs> and then fast forward and you actually have a trail angel wearing one of your hats. There's actually a couple of trail angels oh. that have that have bought hats. So I would really call Joe a trail angel as well. We were friends on social media and then he offered to give me a place to stay. He was, they live in, him and his husband live in Roanoke. And I was leery because I was like, I don't really know you. But I was like, <laughs> oh, give it a shot. It's been raining. I'm tired. And wonderful people. And they were the first people to actually buy hats for me. And so that was really cool. So they have hats. Like, there are so many hats out there. I think it probably has, like, over 100 hats that different people. And the really cool thing is it's, like, people from all different walks of life have them. And so it's really cool with people will either tag me or send me pictures of them like out hiking, going on adventures, wearing their hats, which makes me so, so, so happy because that's for me sharing my journey with pictures and videos. It's all about inspiring others and maybe showing other people that can't go out and see the things for me that that makes me happy if I inspire them or make someone happy. And so many people have told me like, oh my gosh, I'm just living through you because we don't have the health to get out and do this or we don't have, we can't just get rid of everything and just go like you can, we're much older or all these different things. And so when I get to see other people maybe hiking or traveling and they send me a picture with their hat and really puts a smile on my face. You see the ripple effect out there. Yeah, for sure. And then of course, other people ask like, oh, what's that hat? What is that about? And, uh, so then I get to talk to them a little bit about it. And I'm like, oh, it's just my logo. And they're like, huh, for what? And I tell them and they're like, you do what? You hike <laughs> how far? Really? <laughs> you know, they just get so blown away. Yeah, I get that a lot. Oh, you're a crazy hiker. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Someone told me that. Someone told me that today. They were talking and they travel a lot. And I was like, oh, I wish I could travel like you. But because I can't afford to do like expensive travel and staying in hotels and stuff, I just hike because it's the cheaper way to do it. And they're like, Oh, I thought you were just a crazy hiker. And I'm like, well, I guess I am a crazy hiker as well, but <laughs> it's cheaper to through hike than it is to get into a car and drive everywhere. Though you have taken the through hiking to, to a new level by essentially just skipping from trail to trail. <laughs> that wasn't on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the TA was never on my radar at all. And then I met Chili Ben, which is um, a true hiker from New Zealand who now she came and did the AT. She's done the PCT and she's done the TA. She's now residing in uh, Canada. Super awesome girl. If you reach out to her, that would be an awesome one to talk to for sure. Thank you. I hiked with her off and on. Her and her now fiance, they actually met on the trail and now they're engaged, which is so awesome. Two wonderful people. Um, I met them, I think on day four, and then I saw them off and on. And when I saw Chili Ben, she was such an inspiration to me because she had this tiny little pack and she hiked in sandals. And I was like, oh my God, this girl is so freaking cool. And she's done the PCT. Like, this is so cool. Like, I want to be like her. And, uh, <laughs> 
So I just had this vision that they did like these giant big days and like had these tiny little packs. And anyway, so I saw her off and on. And then there was a section that we hiked for a couple of weeks and she was like, have you ever thought about doing the TA? And I was like, what's that? <laughs> and she's like, the Tia de Roa, it's a trail in New Zealand that goes from the tip of the, the country to the bottom. And I was like, no, I haven't really ever thought of that. She's like, oh, you should really do it because then you get back-to-back summers. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, because the seasons are reversed, you'll get to have summer. And then when you come back, it'll be summer. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And she was like, yeah, you can get a working holiday visa since you're not 30 yet. And I was like, oh, okay, 31. And I was like, oh, that's cool. She's like, yeah, you could go to New Zealand and work for a couple months and raise enough money to pay for your travel, like for your whole trip. And I was like, really? That's really cool. So I applied for the the working holiday visa and two days later, three days later, something like that, I got it. And the rest is history now. I mean, did, so did you go down there and work? I went down, I went there, but I did not work. So okay. my plans kind of shifted when I came back from the AT. I went to Boston, kind of explored and saw stuff that I never saw and then came back and was with family and stuff. And the flights, the prices of the flights kind of affected when I would go. So I tried to find the cheapest flights I could. And I stopped off in Hawaii on the way there and uh, spent like four days. And then when I got there, I only had a couple weeks before I started on trail. And I stayed with a friend of mine and I was like, well, I can't like work for a couple of weeks. That doesn't make any sense. My plan was to just work after I got back. Like when I got done with trail, I would just stay and work in New Zealand. But because I got so homesick, I was like, I just want to go home. I don't, Mm-hmm. I could stay in work because I don't start the P or the PCT until April, but I was like, mm, maybe I won't work. <laughs> and I really, I would have loved to. I talked to several people that had worked while they were there and they had some really good stories to tell about what they learned and what they saw and whatnot. But the other thing is with the conversion of the money, it's not, that great a pay when you're working as a seasonal right. worker. So if you were staying in New Zealand and you were using that money in New Zealand, it probably would be just fine. But when you convert it to American money, you end up losing more. I just decided to come home. What was, or what has been your most difficult time on trail? Was it the kind of the little bit of depression over the holidays or or some, some other places or some other times? Yeah, I would say my hardest time on the TA was definitely having that depressed moment. And um, I was, <laughs> there was a time when I was in mud up to my knees and I was just like <laughs> cold and wet and mud to my knees. And I was like trying to like not fall down and I fell down and it was like covered in mud. And I just had this moment of like, I was like, what the heck? Why? I just had a shower and I'm completely covered in mud and my clothes are like filthy mud. Like being dirty is one thing, but being muddy is just, that's not fun. And uh, yeah, I would say that was my lowest time on trail. I think besides that, I would say the last time that my kind of trail family all were together 
So on the TA in Wanganui, there is um, a trail, two trail angels, Rob and George, um, and they invite hikers to their home. It's really amazing. They cook you food, and they give you a place to stay in the house where you can set up a tent or whatever. And we all went there, and we had a traditional welcoming like ceremony of the Mavi people, and we all got to sit around and eat and have dessert. And I think after that, it was really hard because I knew that I probably wouldn't see most of those people again. And so I'd say that was probably one of the lowest points on the trail was just leaving the group of people I'd spent two weeks with. Yeah. And I actually only saw one of them again and I only saw him once. (laughs) Do you find yourself keeping in contact with people through social media or is it sort of once your trails have diverged, you, you sort of each have moved on. For me personally, I keep track of people. I keep up with people on on Instagram and Facebook. So those people on the trail that had met and those people that I hung out with on the TA, I still follow their journey. And so it's really cool for me because I'm like, Oh, I remember that. Like that was so awesome. Oh, I wonder how that time is for them. And so it's really cool to like kind of relive it a little bit. And then um, actually I have several people from the AT that I'm friends with on Instagram and Facebook as well. And it's really cool to watch like their journey after the journey to see how their life's going. So yeah, we keep, we keep in contact and sometimes we'll message back and forth and, Oh, how's it going? What are you doing? And because some of those people may never see again. I mean, the odds of seeing some of those people are like slim to none. So it's really cool. Social media is an amazing tool is sometimes it can not be that great but on the at i had a trail family for about two weeks and then they decided that they wanted to do the trail in a hunt they, their goal when they started was to do the trail in 100 days and i knew when i met them that they were super cool people and i wanted to stay with them as long as i could but i knew realistically that i did not want to do it in 100 days <laughs> i kind of doubted my body that I could do it in hundred days as well. And I made a post about doing the PCT. And one of the guys that I hiked with was like, Hey man, like I'm starting on such and such date. You'll be ahead of me, but I'm going to like use you as the carrot so I can catch up to you. And so we can hike again together. And I was like, that is so awesome. And so when, when that happened, fast forward a couple of weeks, they called me while I was on the TA and we talked about like the TA and we talked about the AT and it was just really cool to like catch back up. Cause I hadn't talked to him or seen him since Damascus, the first time I was in Damascus and our tramway like broke up. <laughs> so it was really cool. Like social media has been great for that. What was your most favorite time or moment on trail? I remember it like it was yesterday, and I say this every time someone asks me, Max Patch is this bald in, I think it's North Carolina, and it was beautiful. So our family all set up on top of this bald mountain with a bunch of other people around, and we all sat up there and watched the sunset, and it was just, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, just purple and pink and orange, and it was just really cool, so at the base of that like little mountain thing, we had trail magic from this pass through hiker. And we 
is for some reason but we met her and her dog and it was really awesome it was hot dogs and it was just like that warm good food just to get you up the mountain and then i was like i'm gonna carry all this water up for like because we're not gonna have water up there so i carry this three liter bag of water and i'm like part way up the mountain i'm like this was a terrible idea why did you guys let me do this oh my god and i get up there and it's just beautiful and i was really glad i took that water not that i drank it but i got to share it with everybody and we just had like a really lovely evening. And then the next morning, really early, it started raining. And our one, our one trail family guy, he's a hammocker. And the thing about Bald Mountains, there's no trees. <laughs> so <laughs> he was just sleeping out on the ground and it was raining. And this is the, ironically, this is when my tent broke was that night, but I fixed it. And I hear all this rain coming down. I'm like, cat, his name's, his brother's cat. And I'm like, cat, get up. It's raining. You're getting wet, man. And he just wasn't waking up. And Callie, the, the girl um, that was with us, she was kind of putting stuff in her tent or something. I was like, can you wake him up and tell him to come in the tent so he can get out of the rain? And so he came in. He's like, man, I was asleep. I didn't even know I was getting wet. <laughs> but it was just like a really cool time. Just like, family all together hanging out by the fire well actually we didn't have a fire that's not true there was a lady who was the our trail angel was trying to make us a fire and we all said no (laughs) oh it was so crazy she um went to go gather us firewood and she came back and we're like no no don't make a fire it's too windy we were all just hanging out eating and talking and she brings back all this wood like no no don't make a fire and she leaves and all of a sudden her dog comes running back and we're like what the heck this is weird why did her dog come back is she coming back we're like calling for her calling for her and she's not responding and i'm like something's wrong we have to go look for this lady something's not right and so we start hiking around looking for her and we're like calling for her and finally we hear her and she's in the middle of like a bramble bush, no light, no phone, like her, she had no headlamp and her, and her phone had died and she'd been drinking too much. And so we get her out of there and we take her down to her truck and we're like, please don't leave, stay here, you know, sleep it off kind of thing. And then we ended up hiking all the way back around to get up this mountain. And it was like a super long night, but we were all like, that is crazy. And we all just sat there and like talked about it. And even though it was kind of a crazy moment, we all had a really good night and just had a really good moment together. You had all the camaraderie. It, we did. It, we really did. And I think my other, my favorite hostel on the AT was the Yellow Deli, which some people shy away from the Yellow Deli because they say it's a cult. I was going to say, <laughs> wasn't that the cult one? <laughs> But it, like for me, it wasn't like that. They never bothered me. They gave me a warm, dry place to stay when I had come out of a storm. And they were very nice. <laughs> and they didn't try to recruit me. So <laughs> that was good. And it had breakfast. And you got to help. And it, it was really cool that you got to do laundry. And it's all donation-based. So those were my two like high moments, I would say. Is there anything that we should talk about that we haven't yet? Hmm. I do have another really good high moment, even though it was, uh, give it to me. I almost forgot. 
so when I finished the trail, um, I had, I, like I said, it was really cold and I sat up there on top of Katahdin and I had known people, but not really like known them. And I was, I sat there for like an hour to kind of let the clouds clear up so we can get some good pictures and Chili Ben and Raiden, those are the, the couple, they come up and that moment of having those friends come up there was absolutely amazing and meant the most to me. And so I carried a gay flag, like a rainbow flag with me Mm -hmm. the whole entire trail and I never took it out. I had only told about four people about being gay on trail because the first person that actually asked me about it was very awful. (laughs) Um, He said, he randomly, this guy is sitting in his underwear, wrapped up in his, like, wrapped up in this coat. I don't even know. It was super weird. He looks at me. He goes, are you gay or just really Texan? And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, that's a really weird thing to say to somebody. And I said, well, not that I would normally tell anyone or that it's your business, but I'm gay. And then he started like, cracking jokes and just being disrespectful and so after that i really didn't want to tell anybody and i actually slowed way down because i didn't want to ever meet that person again and then i actually felt very comfortable around chili Ben and raiden and so i had told them one of the times when we were hiking hey you know this is just part of who i am like it is what it is kind of thing and they're like oh no that's that's cool like that's like they were super, super cool about it. So on Katahdin, when I was sitting up there, I had already taken a couple of photos, but I had no intentions of actually taking my flag out and taking pictures with it because I was too nervous because there was all these people around that I didn't know. There was at this time, there's now like tourists up there and like just all these people, I don't know who they are and I don't know how they're going to react or anything. And I didn't want to deal with having my moment ruined. When Chile and them got up there, I just had this like sense of relief and like comfort and excitement. And it was just a whole different feeling for me. And I like fumbled around and like I had, so I had Joe, the guy that's missing my hats, send me a clothes hanger so I could cut the clothes hanger to make a thing to hold the flag on my, on my trucking pole. So I carried this piece of extra weight in my backpack, like a good while. So through the hundred mile wilderness, all the way up to Katata. And so I was like, I need to use this thing since I had it sent to me. And so I like rig up my flag on my trekking pole and Chile and Raiden took pictures for me. And if it wasn't for them being up there, I don't know if I would have had the confidence to do that. Why did you carry the flag with you? I don't know. I, I, um, I think after that, so I didn't carry it the entire trail. I got it later on. So I can't remember what town I was in, but it was after that guy kind of was like ugly towards me. And then when I had felt like the love and like acceptance from Chile and Raiden, um, I was in this town and they had all the, this one little area had all these little rainbow flags and it had nothing to do with being gay. It was just like their Mm -hmm. decorations that they had out. And I went into the store and I was like, oh, are those your guys' flags out there? And I was like, and they're like, no, those are so-and-so's. And I was like, oh, do you know if there's any place I could buy one? Like, I would like to have one. And 
um, she was like, oh, well, I can kind of, she's like, you might ask next door if they weren't there. And so I started talking to them and they talked to me about my hat and whatnot. And then I walked over and was kind of at this little area and I was sitting down and the guy comes over and says, hey, come over here. We need to talk to you. And I was like, okay. And I walk in the store and the lady hands me the flag. And I was like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Like, really? Do you want me to pay you for this? And she's like, no. She's like, do you have another hat? Do you have one of your hats? And I was like, the only hat I have is one that you do not want. (laughs) I was like, I've worn it for like 800 miles or something. It's pretty bleached out and everything. And I was going to give it to this kid that there was this family on the trail. and. there's this game that you play and it's like, never would I ever. And you like pick a number and like, they tell you to do something. Anyway, I told him like, if he got it right, he could have my old hat when I got a new one. And I was like, well, I'm supposed to give it to this kid because he like won the game or whatever. And I was like, but I don't know if I'm ever going to see them again because they're way far ahead. And uh, she wanted it. So I gave it to her. And so that's when I got the flag and I carried it the rest of the way. And for me, it's not even about like, hey, look at me, I'm gay. It's more of like, you know, not all gay people are the stereotypical feminine, not outdoorsy person. Like in all movies, they always make people out to be like this really feminine guy. And some of us are more masculine. And some of us, you wouldn't even know that we're gay until someone tells you. <laughs> And so for me, it was just, hey, even though I'm gay and people have been ugly towards me about it, like, look, I'm doing this thing that tons of straight people do. Like, it's just, I'm just a normal person. And I don't know, for me, that's just kind of what it was. And when I posted that photo, the very first one, I actually said, hey, this gay flag doesn't mean, I don't know what it means to you, but for me, it's just a part of who I am. It's not who I am. It's just a piece of the puzzle. How has the confidence for you to, you know, to bring the flag out on Katahdin and post the picture and stuff like that, how has that translated into the rest of your life or your life off the trail? I haven't really had a lot of time off, like life off trail yet. <laughs> That's <but>. true. <laughs> yeah. So I would say that it's definitely a positive impact. I would, when, when I posted that picture and the most recent one from TA, the outpour of love and support was something that I'd never imagined that I would receive between the comments and the likes and the shares and everything was just incredible. Like thousands of, of, of comments and likes, like, it's just crazy. Like amongst all these groups and stuff. And anytime anyone would say anything negative or nasty i never had to say a word because there was several people that would jump in and defend me and these are strangers people i don't even know and they just they definitely make you feel like amazing and that is one thing i can really say about new zealand that was amazing to me is such an amazing country the people are so kind so generous so accepting. They don't care like if you're black, white. They don't care if you're gay. They they, they don't care. They're just such. It makes you really look at Americans and be like, what is the problem that we have here? Because in New Zealand, the people there they they just don't care. Everyone's just people. 
and that's that's kind of how I feel about like the social media thing with all that support. It's like everyone was super loving and caring. I think that gave me a lot of confidence. Like I'm an out, I'm out. Like I'm not discreet or in the closet or anything. I came out uh, when I was like 18 when I told my mom. And that is the best thing I ever did because I don't know if I'd want to carry that around, but I never told her before she passed away kind of thing but I just don't talk about it like in situations that make me uncomfortable like when I started hiking the Appalachian Trail I was really worried about how that'd be perceived and there like I said there was some negative to it and when you're going to a place like the Yellow Deli you really don't let people know that you're gay because it's like you know a religious like place and there are places that you stay in churches and whatnot and I just felt uncomfortable even saying anything about, especially when you're like in the South, it's just known to be a little more conservative in that situation. But I do think by posting those pictures, which if Chile and them were there, I would have never did it. Like I was so chicken and I was like fumbling around with it. And I'm not even kidding. Like if I remember this, like it was yesterday, Chile was just Raiden actually was like, Hey, you want me to get a picture with your fly? That's really cool. And I was like, really? Yeah, that'd be great. And it just, it, my whole day was changed. Those two people have no idea how much they impact in my life. <laughs> it's, it's oftentimes the simplest things. Yeah, it really is. Where can people follow you or, or find you if they have any questions or want to follow your continuing adventures? Uh, John goes places, uh, all one word on Instagram and then, uh, John goes places on Facebook are the best ways to follow slash get a hold of me. And I also have a YouTube channel that is also John goes places. And I respond to any messages or comments in either of those places, any of those places. All right. Thanks, Aaron. You have a great rest of your day. John's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to John for sharing his stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. If you have three hiking adventures to share, bring them on. I'm looking to catalog some episodes before I head out to the trail, so please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. And now that we're heading into our 60th episode, I would love to hear from you about what you like or what you'd like added to the podcast. Please either email me or you can also DM me on Instagram. I'll see you on the trail. Bye.